0: It's all good. Anyways, now I play Now I used to play. I used to play. You know that game, I Spy. Especially in the car. Back in the day when uh, there was no such things as uh, smart. You know, ancient times when there was no such things as smartphones or tablets or, you know, things like that. And so we would have to entertain ourselves in the car, entertain ourselves in different scenarios. I used to play that game, I Spy. Now, what I love about that game, I Spy, is that you have to pick something that is visual, right, that everybody can kind of see. Now, I want you you to pause for a minute. Out of the things that we talked about that you all pointed out a minute ago, talking about what was red, how many of those things did you notice for the first time? How many people, if she mentioned there was a fire hydrant in there, how many people actually knew there was one there? Maybe that's the first time you notice. Oh, there's a fire hydrant right there. I didn't know that. Right there. Right? Maybe, how many times you ever know? Maybe the exit sign or that clock or different things like that. Right? And so the thing with that is that it was hidden in plain sight, but it was hard to find. Right? Hidden in plain sight, but hard to find. See, that's what happens, okay, when in the Bible. Because, for example, we're going to play that one more time, but you don't have to answer this one. It's okay. You don't have to play. When I read Joshua chapter 2, which is one of the books of the Bible, which we're going to look at today. When I read Joshua chapter 2, I spy with my little eye someone with great faith. I spy with my little eye someone with great faith. Now, if you read chapter 2, you can think it was like, oh, it's, it's that person. Oh, it's that person. It's that person. It's that person. At first, the, the, big, the, the person you probably wouldn't notice is this girl named Rahab, who we're going to talk about today. I spy with my little eye not only somebody with great faith, I also spy with my little eye someone who lied. Okay? Rahab in the story, we're going to see she did something interesting. She lied to save her life and the lives of others. Which is, uh, let's be honest, she's not the only one who's ever told a lie to get out of a situation. All right? How many of you have ever done that? You either get, po- <laughs> right? you get busted by mom, the teacher, the police, I don't know, right? Somebody. And you come up with a story, a scenario, you busted, and you try to you try to come up with a lie to cover it up. But how many of you have ever made your your problem worse by lying, right? You ever you lied, it made it worse, and now you got to deal with an even bigger problem, right? We've all done that. We've all done that. I've done that. You know what? My kids have done that. And the majority of the time, it doesn't it doesn't work. We see right through it. But there are there has been a rare occasion when it did work. Let me tell you one. My kid, my oldest son, Josué, he was around two years old. My, our middle child, uh, Josiah, was a baby in the crib, and we had baby monitors. So they had their own rooms and we were watching. and my highly energetic two-year-old was jumping on his bed. Now we knew, he knew we talked to him, he was like, "Bedtime is bedtime. Bedtime's not playtime. Playtime's outside, bedtime's in here. So we were trying to make sure that he got that. And so I know he's two, so we're trying to be patient. So, but this has been a streak where he had been constantly jumping and jumping and jumping and we didn't want him to get in trouble. We didn't want him to get hurt. So Alicia, my wife, she, he is, she is watching him jumping, seeing him through the camera, through the video, jumping. She walks all the way over there, walks all the way over there, doesn't knock because uh, our kids don't lock their doors. So no, not allowed to lock the door. So we don't lock, we just walked right in just, just opens the door and says, what are you doing? Without now, as she, oh, as she opened the door, he was in mid-flight from the bed onto the floor. I mean, mid-flight. And she's just, boom, busts in, bam, lands. What are you doing? Without missing a beat. My kid goes back, sway and goes, mom, the bed dropped me. She was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> how could you be mad at that? That was so good. So you're like, just go to sleep. Was like, oh my God. That was classic. So good. That time he lied and got out. He got out of that one. He got out of that one. He you know, doesn't work after that. But I don't recommend you do that. I don't recommend you do that. But we're going to see when we look at Rahab, she lied. She did save her life. And then it makes us think and wonder, which I want you to think about this. Okay. Can you do something bad for a good reason? I just want you to think about it. Don't answer. Can you do something bad for a good reason? Good reason. Can you do something bad for a good reason? And, and then if you think about this, if I do something bad for a good reason and it, bec- and it brings out a good result, then is the bad action really bad after all? Making y'all think, right? I'm good, I'm making y'all think. So now with that, we're going to talk a little bit about that because this gives us an inch, her story is so unique and it brings up a lot of questions because Rahab lied, she did something wrong to save her life, to save the lives of others. It's very similar to what we've seen before. We know that in extreme circumstances, we can probably argue and say, okay, maybe the wrong thing can be right depending on the circumstances, right? World War II, how many times did people lie hiding Jews inside of their home, lying to the German authorities in order to preserve and save their lives. How many times here during the Civil War did we have under the Underground Railroad, okay, those, you know, white owners of houses hiding runaway slaves, lying, saying, oh, there's no one here. How many? And so we can see, we can make an argument that maybe in extreme circumstances, maybe the wrong thing could be justified. But we're going to look at Rahab, which almost 2,000 years before there were Nazis, Rahab was hiding Jews in her home and lying that they weren't there. And her story is very, very unique. And her story says a lot about us that we can see. I mean, the story of this incredible woman actually at first, the reason why it's included is to teach the nation of Israel that this new nation, which right now when we pick up the story of where we are, Rahab's story, the nation of Israel is just becoming a nation. They have just been freed 40 years prior. 40 years prior they had just left Exodus. So if you know the story of Moses and the Ten Commandments and all that. So where we're going to talk about today is 40 years after that. And they are about to claim, the conquer- they're going about to conquer Canaan, the promised land. And some don't know, you know, the, the, this people, where have been for years and generations, I mean, this the culture of the Canaanite land was very wicked. I mean, they were doing the most disgusting thing. I mean, certain things that because we got minors in the room, like, I literally can't say. But it was it was crazy, the detail. I can't go into details. But their worship experiences were, I mean, overtly overtly sexual. Their worship experiences, when they worshiped demons, uh, included uh, feces and stuff. You know, that was what they did with worship. I'm like, you know, if that's how we you like, I would quit that church, okay? If anybody, like, look, like, I got an idea, uh, get out. Okay, no, we're not gonna do that. Um, but, and they would also, part of their worship, they would sacrifice children alive, throwing them into the fire, doing, I mean, this, this culture had been so corrupted that God they had lost. And so God was going to lead this nation to help to purify the land, to help end injustice and to do that. And then Israel was going to be a part of that. And so part, the, the part of this story is amazing because it's right at the beginning of them conquering the land. And Rahab's story is, was meant to teach the nation of Israel that this new nation was supposed to be dictated and defined by ethical lines and not racial or ethnic lines. The people of Israel was supposed to be a new people, a different kind of people. And it's important to know that because as the church, that's our legacy. We're supposed to be a different people who our church, our community should only be defined by spiritual ethics and not ethnic or racial lines. And so we're going to look at her story. Before we jump in, again, it's been 40 years. It's around 1400 B.C., 1375. Okay, so it's a good bit ago. And this is right at the beginning of that. And we are entering now the first person, the first place that the Jewish people are going to go, if you know the story, is Jericho. Okay, Jericho was the first city that they were going to go in beginning the conquest of the land of Canaan. And Jericho was known for one thing. If you know it, say it. What were they known for? Their walls. They were known for their walls. That was their defensive purposes. These guys had a double layer of walls. So it wasn't just one. It was like double stuffed Oreos, okay? I mean, it had two layers in there. And the first layer, the first wall that surrounded the city was 12 feet deep. 12 feet of wall. And then there was another wall, another inner wall that was there also. That was just double the layer, double defense there. I mean, it was no one had a structure, a defense structure like they did. And they were sitting pretty, sitting comfortable. Here comes the nation of Israel. Here they come. About they're knocking on the door. And so as they go there, being the first. And by the way, just so you know, because in this in the story, Jericho is destroyed. And and we there are even today archaeological evidence that proves without a shadow of a doubt we know where that's where that city is. We even see evidence of that ancient wall and how it was destroyed and burnt down in a very unique way. So it's crazy how you can Google that if you want to. Finding out archaeological evidence of Jericho is so many, so cool things. But we're going to jump into the story, and right here's what happens. Right before we hear of Rahab, we hear of two spies. See, Jericho goes, Joshua is the commander of the nation of Israel. And Joshua sends in two spies to check out Jericho. You know they're they're doing recon work. Okay, they're out there doing recon work, seeing what, how's the scenario, what is this, what is that, and so they enter in the city, which had you know means to go in and out, and so they were able to enter the city. And in Joshua chapter two, we hear that they entered into the house of a harlot. Okay, other words, prostitute. Okay, like a burlesque place. This is she is a business owner. This lady is a business owner, and her business is a pleasure, apparently. Okay, that's our scenario. And so the, now Israel, these two Jews enter into the house of this prostitute. Now the, the Hebrew phrasing actually has a double meaning. So it either can imply they went in to mix in Because there you were having a lot of foreigners, a lot of travelers, a lot of people. And and again, just like now, modern day to day, you know, there's maybe exclusive access. You know, they want to maybe protect certain VIP people. I mean, there's some disgusting, despicable people out there in the world doing things like that, super shady. And so it was a good way to be in the city and hide. So we don't know, but the the double meaning actually was the spies either went in to mix in or they went in to sin. We don't know actually. So we don't know the intentions, the pure intentions of where they were. But here they find themselves talking to this one woman. And this one woman, Rahab, which we're going to see, she happens to recognize who they are. Because you know what? The whole city is on high alert. They know that there's an army sitting out there. And they've been hearing stories about what this people have been doing on their way from Egypt to there. They know that the Israel, the army, the Israeli army has developed a reputation up until this point. And the whole city is on high alert. And Rahab recognizes who they are. And instead of snitching, instead of telling, there is something about this opportunity that she takes. And she takes this opportunity and she hides them on her roof under these flat tiles. Oh, the roofs back then were flat. And so they were able to, they had these things that they would put to dry out. And so these flax tiles were there. And so they were able to hide them up there authorities found out they heard oh there's jewish jewish spies in here so they're going around they go straight to her house apparently they we saw people enter into this room where are they and she lies and she tells them look i've seen them i didn't know who they were i've seen a strange couple come in here and they've left before the gate opened, closed they already took off if you catch them if you run out there you might catch them so she lies and we don't know why it's a very at this point of the story we don't see her reasoning but then as the men come down Right before it's bedtime, right before they go to sleep, she begins, and we get to see her heart. And here's what happens. Let's, let's pick up the story, and we're gonna read Joshua chapter 2, verses 6 through 10. So if you don't got a Bible, I got you up here. All right, I got you today. And here's point number one is this that her faith, she did this act in faith, and her faith was based on evidence. So let's check out what is this evidence we're talking about. Joshua chapter 2, verse 6 Before the men laid down, the two spies, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all of the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, the Sihon and Og, whom you had devoted to destruction. So we see here that she has great faith. Remember I said, when you read chapter two, I spy with my little eye somebody with great faith. And her name is Rahab, and Rahab here has this faith. She was, and is based on evidence. She knows, like, look, uh, Israel has been on a 40-year hot streak. Okay, whoever has come against them, they have not had to deal with much, and they have taken out one after another, after another, after another. And in fact, don't even sleep on Egypt. Okay, Egypt was the number one superpower in the world at that time, and in a week, in a week, God took them out. In a week, they were dismantled, and everyone's looking at these people who were former slaves and leaving the rubbles of an ancient powerhouse, and they're wondering, yo, what is up with them? And then they heard the stories of the Red Sea parting. I'm like, wait, what? Who, what is that? No one's ever seen anything like that. And then here's a ragtag group of slaves um, that um, overnight have been a formidable army. And there no one has been able to come against them. No one's been able to stand against them. And here she sees her faith is based on evidence of 40 years. And you can see what she believes. She says, I know, I know that God, we're not, our walls aren't big enough. Your, your God is bigger than our walls. And, and she didn't even have any confidence. Like, nope, you, I know God has given you this place. I know God, this is, we're done. I believe it. I believe it. It's an amazing, just that faith that she has, we see, and what is her faith based on? Evidence. In fact, she even uses the word, I don't know if you read it how many times, she said, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord did. Even that coming from a pagan woman, uh, you know, pagan meaning, she didn't worship this God. She did not know this God. Her only interaction of this God is the stories of what she has heard, the stories over the past forty years. And by the way, that's an amazing even evidence of. We can see some evidence of that as well of everything happened in Egypt really happened because it became even forty years later. You could have refuted some of this. But no, she knew because it had happened. It had been told, told there, and so she had this faith, assurance based on evidence. <laughs> My town's in trouble. My town's in trouble. And look what she says in verse 4. Nada, so we see that her faith is based on evidence, but then also her faith is based in confidence. Look at, look at what she says next in verse 11. She says this, and as soon as we heard it, as soon as we heard all that you guys had done, as soon as we heard what you did to those Amorite kings and those other people who weren't uh, too shabby, when we heard of all that you were doing, when we heard that you were at our doorstep and that we were next, okay, as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted And there was no spirit left in any man because of you. There's no hope. Everybody's panicking. And what she says, for who? The Lord your God, he is God in heaven, in the heavens above, and in the earth beneath. That statement is weighty, heavy. She did not grow up knowing this God. Her understanding of the gods were like, yo, I've been told about gods, but this God is different. It, she was convinced, convinced that this is the one and true and only God, that if there are other gods out there, they the JV. squad compared to this guy. OK? That's what she was and you could see that faith, that evidence gave her confidence. She knew. It's like, we can't stand. Our gods are nothing compared to yours. We Like that is insane. In fact, I'm going to read you a different verse. I don't have it on the screen. I'm just going to read it to you here. Hebrews 11, which is written in the New Testament. Gives us an interesting, though. the author of Hebrews is writing to the Hebrews, writing to the Jews about faith and about Jesus. And Rahab, this a moment here, that declaration and her example up until this point is a great definition of what the author in Hebrews talks and says about faith. I'm just gonna read one verse. Hebrews 11:1 says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. The faith is the evidence. A lot of people tell us, there's a lot of people out in universities and secular, people say, oh, faith is, your faith is blind. You know, faith in a God is blind. Listen, no, we all live by faith. We all live by faith. You know how? Because you were sitting in a chair. You sat in a chair. You, you didn't, like, test it out. You were like, you know, wait, maybe, I don't know. You know let, me put, let me put one cheek first to see if I can slide the whole thing. Okay. You flat sat in the chair because you had faith that that chair was going to hold you up. If you didn't believe that chair was going to hold you up, you would have just not sat down. Right? Or you would have tested it out. We all live by faith. We have to because no one knows everything. No one is promised anything. You all acted by faith by getting in your car and coming here. You didn't know something was going to happen to you, but you did it. You acted in faith, right? We all do that. And so blind faith is not blind in the sense of closed-mindedness. It's, it's not a faith that we ought to not think No, it is, notice, he says, faith is the evidence of things hoped for, the conviction. This is reason applied to life. It's like, look, out of the things that I don't know, I'm taking what I do know and I'm applying it here. And that's what she did. She didn't know, all she knew, Rahab knew, man, I've seen what God has done. And we next, oh yeah, I I know without a shadow of a doubt. She was convinced that this, wasn't, this was gonna be a, a bloodbath, okay? She was convinced that there was gonna be no way for her and for these people to survive this God. She was convinced due to the evidence. But not only that, we see that her faith was not only based on evidence, her faith was based in confidence, her, ba- her faith was also based in kindness. Look at, what she's, look at the next part, and we're gonna end her little story here. We're gonna read 11, uh, 12, and 14, and verse 21. We're gonna skip. Now then, she tells him, after making that declaration of faith, she says, Now then, please swear, please swear to me by the Lord that I have dealt kindly with you. You also deal kindly with my father's house and give me assurance. How did she treat them kindly? She saved their lives. They were out there, authorities looking for them, that would have killed them, tortured them. She lied to save their lives. And so here she says, Be kind to me as I've been kind to you. Verse 13 that you will save alive my father and my mother, my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them and deliver our lives. And then the two spies, the men said to her, our lives for your lives, even unto death. Pretty much saying, all right, yep, but we got this. You know, your life for my life, I promise we're gonna, we're gonna do this. We'll keep our end of the deal. If you do not tell this business of ours, then the Lord will give us the land and we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. Listen, she was being kind to these people. And also I want you to know that this kindness was courageous because if her family, notice she's not just trying to save her skin, she's trying to save her family. And if any one of her family knew, and they probably were there in the room, they probably had heard, she probably had discussions. If any one of those family had snitched, right? Her snitched, exposed the plot. They're in trouble. They're all in trouble. Whole family. Hey, right? Rahab too. Rahab showed great courage because if any other person, another employee, Another person walking in and out overheard the conversation, saw what was going on. They could have, again, snitched and she could have gotten in trouble. But she showed great courage, yet, and that caused her to be kind. And all she said was, Can you be kind to us? Save us. Because she believed that God was going to do, they were going to do what they were going to do. The rest of the story, before I read 21, what happens is, is that Rahab takes a scarlet red cord. She drops it off of her window. So we know that she is living, her house is built in to the side wall. So think of an apartment complex like today. But her house was built in that 12-foot-thick thick, you know, foot thick wall there. She op- they opens up the door and lets them out. And again, even the courage of that, anybody could have seen. Maybe, I don't know, maybe some people could have thought, that was like the VIPX. And I was like, yo who's coming out of Rahab's house? I was like, mm, right, don't look, you know, no one looks like that. So I don't know, maybe, maybe people got used to that. I don't know. But she lets them out with a red scarlet cord. They take off. They hide. They tell Joshua, the commander, what had happened. And they come up with a plan. And here, verse 21, and here's what uh, she says to them once again before they leave. It says, according to your word, so be it. It's like as they're, uh, as they're way down, like, remember, you guys promised. I was kind to you. I saved your life. Can you save ours? Save ours. She was desperate. She knew that they were going to die that there was no one that was going to stand against this God and that their city was condemned. So she says, according to your word, so be it. And then she sent them away and they departed and she tied the scarlet red cord to her window. Not only did she do this, but then she left a cord hanging from the window because the cord was supposed to be a sign. The cord was as the nation, as the army would come in, they knew and Joshua knew, told the army, the window that has a red cord saved them because you know, we're going to protect them. Save them, the window with the red cord, the window with the red cord, save them. So it was a sign. And then that had to take courage and faith. I'm like, Rahab, why you got a cord hanging outside your window like that for? You know? I don't know, maybe she kept on lying, making up excuses for one thing or another. Like, how are you going to explain that? That's not normal, you know? And so we don't know what the scenario is. All we know is that she left that cord in faith, seeing that she believed that God was going to protect it almost sounds very similar to in Egypt when God told them all the doorposts had to be covered with blood. And the angel of death, as it would pass over, any doorpost covered with blood would be spared. And here we have a red, blood red cord standing out of a window. And if she, as long as she had that red cord out there, that was a sign of faith. And she would be spared. So that's, the, that's how that story goes. Now, if you read the story, which we're not going to continue on, you read the story, we know that Israel shows up. Great, you know, they, they, they shout and they do this crazy battle cry, and then the Holy Spirit comes in and squashes this 12 foot thick, deep wall, whatever they had, like if it was toothpicks, okay? And we have archaeological evidence that sees and how we can actually see how the wall had fallen. It's crazy how the technology we have right now. But it, it fell, and this is the miracle the whole wall fell down, except the part of the wall that had Rahab's house. Rahab's house, they survived, they lived. And so they were out there, and she, uh, we see later on, I'm going to read where kind of her story ends off. But what's great is that even when the, when the war was over, when the war was over, Rahab was invited to a wedding. It's pretty cool. Oh, I know, right? When Rahab, when the war was over, Rahab was invited to a wedding. Turns out that she impressed one of those two spies. One of those two spies was named was. Salmon, it looks like salmon, like the fish, okay? You hear it as Salma, Sal- Salmon, two different ways to read it. Uh, he was impressed by this lady. He marries Rahab. One, uh, one of the two spies, one of the two spies decides to marry Rahab. Now, even I want you to think of this, because uh, a prostitute is not a virgin. Let's, can we be right, safe on that? We all good with that, right? Prostitute's not a virgin. Back in that day, your virginity was valuable. No man wanted you if you weren't a virgin. So for this man, for this man to say, I want you, was an, I'm willing to look past your past. I'm willing to extend grace to you. I'm not going to count that against you. There's something about you I just love. And he chooses to marry her. You want, it gets even better, bro. You ready for this? You ready for this? Salmon. The salmon. It sounds so weird to do say the same. Say, salmon. Was a prince of the of the uh, prince of the tribe of Judah. He was a prince. Rahab went from a prostitute to a princess like that. Look at how cool that is. You see that story? She went from a prostitute to a princess. And when you read uh, Joshua chapter six, I'm going to read Joshua chapter six super quick, verse 25. I think we have it on the screen. Look look what we have here. Joshua chapter six, verse 25. The war is over. Everything has happened, but Rahab the prostitute. And her father, they had to like rub that in one more time, I guess, I don't know. Rahab the prostitute, but the Rahab the prostitute and her father's household and all who belonged to her, Joshua saved alive. So she was rescued. And she lived in Israel to this day. According to when with, this was officially documented, she had lived up until this moment. So she was alive to verify this story. She lived until this day because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to be the spies in Jericho. So this was a non-Jew embraced as a part of their own. She is now brought into the family of God, even though she had a different ethnicity. She might have had a different skin color, but it didn't matter. Because again, the nation of Israel was supposed to be a different nation, not defined by racial or ethnic lines, but defined by spiritual ethics. It was different. And so we see Rahab there and, you know, the, how, how do you say, it? what's the phrase? Uh, and they lived happily ever after, I guess, right? They lived happily ever after, which, you know, what's crazy even more, uh, I guess even better. Rahab, Mary Salmon, becomes a part of the tribe of Judah. Rahab not only becomes a member of the house of God, she becomes an ancestor of Jesus. She's, G- she's actually King David's great-great-grandmother and is now, is one of Jesus' relatives. So when you see this, you look at Jesus' story, and Jesus' story got some characters, okay? Jesus' story, all, th- those guys are all over the map. All over the map in regards to lifestyle, choices, and decisions, okay? But see, that's a beautiful thing. That, look, you anyone can be a part of God's family who desires and who belongs. Look, as a church, that's what I, I, we want. Our, our heart is that we are constantly drawing bigger circles to include people who don't look like us who don't vote like us, who don't talk like us, who don't enjoy the same pastimes maybe like us. But see, we wanna be a community of even though we might not look alike, we can love each other still and we can show what God and the difference that God can do. That's what the nation of Israel is supposed to do. That's what the church is called to do. Now, despite Rahab's happy ending, right? And happily ever after, I have to say this, okay? I have to say this part. Despite that everything, went, again, she did something bad, it turned out good, right? Now, just because that happened doesn't mean that right and wrong can be relative, okay? It doesn't mean right and wrong can be relative. The end always justifies the means. Be careful. We're not going that far, all right? Don't go there and try to come, you know, you gonna be telling your mom and your dad, you know, pastor said, as long as I had a good reason, liar, okay? No, I spy with my little lie, a liar, okay? No, that doesn't work like that, okay? Lying is still bad. You, you get me with that, right? Lying is still bad. You know, extreme cases. Maybe, but whatever. Lying is still bad. Uh, you know, the fact that you forgot your homework and you didn't do summer reading and you're lying about it. That's not extreme cases. Okay, whatever else it is. Lying is not bad. Yet, here's the thing. When we read again of he when we read of uh, Rahab in the New Testament. She pops up. Her name pops up a couple of times in the New Testament. Matthew writes her as one of the four women mentioned in Jesus' genealogy. We're going to talk about the other two over the next two weeks. Every time that Rahab is mentioned in the New Testament post-Jesus, do you know how she is never defined? As a prostitute. In the Old Testament, Rahab the prostitute. But in the New Testament, her name is different. It comes up differently. In fact, in Hebrews, chapter, let me read Hebrews chapter 11 and James. Before I read James chapter 2, you, you, you got to hear this. Every time we hear her, this is in the New Testament. In Hebrews chapter 11, we hear of Rahab and it says this about Rahab. That she says, by faith, well in this case, oh, no, it does come up prostitute. But listen, it's different. By faith, watch. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with her, with those who were disobedient. Because she had given friendly welcome to the spies. Just like in Joshua it was written the same way but now look what James says James chapter 2 we're gonna read verses 20 through 26 Ray James this is Jesus's little brother by the way he is a the pastor of the the church in Jerusalem prior to Jesus's resurrection he didn't believe in Jesus as the, as the Messiah until he was resurrected from the dead that convinced him uh that would convince me that would convince anybody okay if you you thought your little brother was crazy and then boom that happens so anyways so listen to what he says Abraham, is this verse 20, right? Okay, good. Verse 20. I'm going to skip down to 23. And the scripture was fulfilled and it says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Good. And he was called a friend of God. You see see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. So if you have faith it's gonna come out in your works. If you have faith in God, it's gonna come out in your actions. This is not, and what we, James makes a big deal, that listen, you cannot work to be saved. You can't earn your salvation. You cannot save yourself. But if you are saved, your life ought to be different. You ought to see it in your life. And now look what he says here. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith. And in the same way, we see that Rahab the prostitute, I gotta make that correction, my fault on the whole thing, not mentioning. I got a little carried away. So anyways, moving on. But check this out though, ready? And in the same way, Rahab the prostitute was justified. She was justified by her works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from the works is dead. So here James is talking and giving us an example of this saying, listen, when you have faith, You're saving, you are saved by faith, but a faith that's not alone. Your faith plays out in your life. Now, this is where I got carried away. I made one mistake. Yes, her title was brought up. Do you know what was not brought up? This is what I made it say. Her lie. You know, her lie. How did did Hebrews and James describe? She hid them. They didn't say she lied and hid them. So the lie was omitted. Why? Because in faith, At this point, God had forgiven her. God had that lie that she made, that mistake that she made, it's not brought up ever again. It's in the past. God handled it. God forgave it. And so when we see this, we see this amazing story, and and her story can be our story. When we are saved by grace through faith, that faith ought to be played out in works. In fact, Rahab's whole story is an Old Testament example of a New Testament reality. I did, this is, um, I love that. I did this last week and I don't know why I felt compelled to do it again. So I'm just going to read this because I don't want to mess it up again. So here we go. Ready? Rahab could not save herself or her family. So she trusted in Joshua. We cannot save ourselves. So we must trust in Jesus. By the way, I don't know if you know, but in the Hebrew word, Joshua is the same way that you say Jesus. It's written the same way. It's Yeshua. So Joshua is also, you can also say it. He's a type of Jesus. So She could not save herself. She trusted in Joshua. We can't save ourselves. We have to trust in Jesus. Rahab hung a crimson red cord in faith so that she would be saved. Jesus hung on a cross shedding his scarlet red blood so that we could be saved. Rahab's kindness led her to salvation. Jesus' kindness leads us to salvation through repentance. Rahab believed because of evidence. And we have the evidence of Jesus' resurrection that can fuel our faith. Rahab was confident in the Lord's character. That's why she was able to compel. If she didn't feel confident in this God, she would not have said, have mercy. There was something about this God, though ruthless, there was something that was compassionate about him. Rahab, uh, she was confident in the Lord's character. We can be confident in Jesus' character. Rahab's lie saved her life from destruction. Yet Jesus' life saves us from the lies of the enemy that caused destruction. By faith, Joshua, by faith in Joshua, Rahab went from a prostitute to a princess. By faith in Jesus, we go from enemies of God to princes and princes, daughters and sons, sons and daughters of God. Salmon, that dude, a prince of Judah, saw past Rahab's past and chose to love her for the rest of her life. And Jesus, the prince of peace and the lion of the tribe of Judah, is able to see past our past, choosing to forgive and love those who trust in him for the rest of their lives. It's amazing. See, that's our God. That's our God. We see how many of you would ever read Rahab and not thought of Jesus? Look, at it It was right there, hidden in plain sight, but it was there. There was Jesus in Rahab's story, telling us, and her story can be our story. In fact, it is our story. See, Rahab knew. Rahab knew, my city is condemned. It deserves the wrath of God, and the wrath of God is coming. And she knew she needed to be saved, and she could not save herself. She did not trust in how big her walls was. Listen, the same way we have to realize that this world is condemned because of sin, because of wickedness, God has to and will, part of his plan, recreate what he created for a purpose and a reason. In fact, I'm, I'm even thinking about praying about doing a sermon on that, a series on that maybe next year about just processing that, why it had to be this way. But there is. And for God, he has a reason. He's recreating the world. And it and this world is going to be condemned. In the same way that the army was there, listen, the armies of the Lord are on their way. The wrath of God is coming to purify and make all things right. Understand that in our culture, anyone under, not under the protection of our Lord Jesus, they're condemned. So we say phrases like sin and hell and all those things. They're condemned. But she was saved because of a crimson, because of a scarlet cord. Listen, we can be saved too if we claim that same cord. That cord is extended to us as well. In fact, let me show you one. This. I brought one. Anybody ever heard of a paracord? You guys ever heard of one of these? All right, paracord. Talking about uh, talking about gifts given. Okay, you can thank the Department of Defense, uh, the U.S. military, for paracords. All right, this was developed for something that they were using in applications about uh, maybe a little over 100 years ago, and uh, oh, and you can even thank the the 101st Airborne. All right, there you go. 100 Force Airborne, they're one big ones who use it. A lot of people use it. And this is throughout, uh, a lot of people use it today, and we use it today. If you look at paracords, there's actually tons of blogs of how a paracord can save your life. So anybody, campers or anybody out there, just whatever, you know, these are very applicable. It's not just any kind of rope. It's a specially made strong rope that you can use for a lot of different applications. You actually, there's crazy. If you, there's the ways that you can use this, uh, by the way, this one's, I think, a 550 uh, strength one, so this can hold 550 pounds, which is great, so uh, without snapping or breaking. Uh, there's some that are making stronger than that, but you can, I mean, it's crazy. You can use this to make fire, you know, with the way you tie wood, and you can make a scenario. You can use this to uh, do that. You can use it for building shelter. You can use this for hunting. I've seen people make a makeshift net and then throw it out on the water and catch fish, you know? It's pretty cool. You can use it for self-defense. I saw this one dude make a knot on the other side. And You know, just winging it like that. And so these things can save your life, okay? This cord, this cord can save your life. This cord can save your life. It's really interesting. Now, let's imagine, let's imagine, okay? Just picture this. You're out, you're walking, enjoying the mountains, all right? Enjoying the mountaintop. And uh, you made a mistake. You weren't paying attention. You were so consumed by the beautiful landscape and the horizon as the sun was setting, you tripped. And you fell off the side of the cliff. Okay, imagine you are free falling now. You ever had that dream, that nightmare that you were free falling and you woke up like, like, like you felt it. Like you were, I hate that dream. I hate that dream. And so I've had a few of those. And so imagine you're free falling now. And there are two options. There are two things that you can grab a hold to. There's, you are, you're about to, you're free falling, you're going down and you see two things that you can grab a hold of. And you can only grab one. One of those is a paracord just like this. The other, a spider's web. Which one would you grab? Okay. you Now, it depends. If you were a bug, and no, Spider-Man's webs don't count. Okay? Somebody said that. Spider-Man's webs don't count. Okay? Real spider webs. Okay? None of that. No, okay? None of MCU stuff. All right? I'm talking about real spider web. Not, okay? None of that. Okay? Real spider webs. If you had a choice between a paracord and a spider web to save your life, and you were going to fall into the ravine, you were going to fall into the pit, you were going to die, which one would you grab? you'd grab this, right? Why? Because you knew if, if you were a bug, the spider web would be good enough. If you were a bug, if you were an insect, the spider, I mean, those are strong. Spider webs are, they're strong for that application. Last time I checked, you're bigger than a bug, okay? You're bigger than a bug, so your weight's not gonna, that, that web is not gonna hold your weight. You need something stronger. But well, here's the thing. When you trust in your ability to be better, If you trust in your ability to save yourself, it's like you free-falling trying to grab onto a spider web to save you. It's not going to hold up. It's not going to hold up. I, I hate to break this to you. Your best is not good enough. My best is not good enough. We need something stronger. We need something stronger. We need something greater than ourselves. And that's what Jesus offers us. That's what Jesus offers us. In fact, here's just the bottom line, if we can take anything away from Rahab's story, because Rahab was a prostitute. Rahab was somebody you can written off. The spies could have wrote her off and was saying, oh, save me, save me. I'm like, no, you're condemned. You're a part of this city. Uh, we're supposed to, all of you, we're done. There was something about her that God said, no, 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 compassion, mercy. Mercy for her. She, no matter what she had done, God was not done with her. And I want you to know that's the bottom line for today. so the application. Listen, no matter what you've done, God is not done with you. Okay? No matter what you've done, God is not done with you. It's not. No matter what you've done, you can think that cord is extended to you. You can think like, oh, well, I don't deserve it. Well, you can say Rahab didn't deserve it, but it was there. Rahab didn't deserve it, but she was there. God claimed her. She was able to hold on that cord. And so no matter what you've done, God is not done with you. You would say, well, I need to get my act together. No, no, that God makes you right. That's what, don't, don't waste time. You can't do that. Again, it's like you're trying, you're free-falling, you're just snatching all these spider webs, thinking the next one will work, the next one will work. No, it's not going to end it. It's not going to stop that way. No matter what you've done, no matter what you've become, we can see that anyone can be a part of God's family. No one, listen, no one is beyond God's saving reach. No one is beyond Jesus' saving reach. No matter what you've done, God is not done with you. And then I gonna flip that on the positive for all believers in here, okay? No matter what you've done, God is not done with you. Maybe God has used some of you guys in great ways. Awesome, Okay. Uh, Are you alive still? Are you breathing? Check your pulse real quick. If you're not, we need to pray real quick. We need to pray real fast. I don't know what I can use this paracord to resurrect you or not. Apparently it saves lives. I don't know. But if you are a believer in Christ and you are alive, God's not done with you. I don't care how young you are. I don't care how old you are. If you're still alive, God still has a purpose for your life. If you are still alive, God still has a purpose for your life. He is not done with you. Even if you've done great things for God, if you're still ticking, you're still breathing, God's not done with you still. Okay? Heaven, retirement, you know, heaven's for retirement. Right? Like I mean, we can semi-retire now, but we don't officially fully retire yet. All right? That's what heaven's for. You know, we got a, I got a nice plan up there. It's nice. Benefits and everything. It's good. All right? But listen... That you're not done. No matter what you've done, God is not done with you. The more you try to play with any other way, any other option, if you try to grab onto the spider webs of this world, listen, it's not strong enough. You're going to waste your life. But when you grab on to what Jesus has extended to us, you're raised to new life. And so if there was an application today, it's this. You need to claim your cord. That's what you need to do. Every one of us here, every one of us here needs to claim our cord. Listen, the same way Rahab let a cord out of her window, Jesus extended a cord out to us. It's anchored in the throne and the cross is the window. The cross is the window into God's heart. The cross is the window that helps us to see who God is. And when we look at the cross, we don't see Jesus, but we see what still hangs is that cord. It's, it's scarlet red because it's drenched in his blood. It's a blood that can purify you, cleanse you, wash you of all things. And when you claim that cord, a lot of happens. Listen, when you claim the cord that Jesus extends to you, when you claim the cord, you know what you're doing? You're claiming, you're believing and receiving God's promises for your life. When you claim the cord in faith, you are claiming God's purpose, God's promise. And when you claim his promises, he gives you, his, he gives you a brand new purpose. Every single time, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done. Good or bad, Christian or not, every time you claim that cord, you are claiming the promises of God. And some of us, we need to do that. If Some of us, you may be, you may be a believer, you may be free fallen Maybe you feel like your faith is free falling because of doubt. It's okay, grab onto this cord. Grab onto the cord that is still there, the same Jesus is reaching out to you. If you feel like your faith is falling through doubt, claim your cord, claim Christ. If you feel like your your house, your scenario in your house is in free fall, your marriage, your kids, your circumstances, your finances, whatever it is, claim, hold on to the promises of God. Those are strong enough. God is strong enough. God is big enough. Hold on to your promises. If you see someone of your, you know, one of your family or someone you care about that they're living and they're in a death spiral that they can't break free, claim God's promises for their lives. Claim your cord. This is, God has extended it. He's purchased it. He's placed it out there for your reach. All you have to do is Claim it, hold on to his promises for you. No matter what you've done, that doesn't disqualify it. But what you do have to do is claim your cord. Claim your cord. Do you know, do you know who that cord is? That cord is the Lord, it's Jesus. It's Jesus. Isn't that just okay? Well, where is it? Where is that cord? Where is that cord? It's Jesus. His hand is extended out to all of us always. All of us always. When you claim your cord, your Lord claims you. And you are now His. And no one can come against you. And whatever's coming against you, God's like, oh, I'm bigger than that. Oh, don't worry about that. I got you. Every time. If you, whatever you're struggling with or confused about or worried about, claim your cord. Claim your cord. It still hangs today from the cross. It still hangs today. And so when you do that, God gives you brand-new purposes. He gives you a confidence that you did not have before because that Holy Spirit is inside of you. But do you know, do you know what that confidence also ought to do? It ought to lead you to have, be concerned. Concerned for your, not just your sake, but like Rahab. Who else was she concerned about? Family. Those who were out of bounds, outside of the lines. She wanted to trade. Notice that it says she not only saved her house her home, her, her parents, her kids, her she saved whoever was in there. She was making sure, y'all got to get in here. Y'all got to get in here. Y'all got to get in here. This is where it's going to be at. Y'all got to get in here. That same, when we claim on to the court of God, we get, we're claiming the heart of God. And then the God begins to think and shows us who can we extend that same cord to. Who can we extend that cord to? Who else in our lives, who else can we claim those promises and try to lasso a few more souls real quick before time runs out, their time runs out. That's what we're called to do. So if, you, if you're finding yourselves in free fall, if you're finding yourselves in free fall, claim your cord, End your free fall. Be set free and fall in love with a God who loves you. He already loves you. As you are, as is, already loves you. You don't have to work to make things right. This is what's so awesome about this, guys. You don't have to work to make things right anymore. Because when you claim your cord, God begins to work in you to make things right in the world. Why? Because when you claim your cord, immediately, instantly, you are made right in God. That's it. You claim your cord, you are made right. You all right. Everything's going to be all right when you claim that cord, when you claim the promises of the Lord. It's something that not only do you hold on to in faith, but when you claim it, It claims you. And whatever you were before is no longer. Because now when God looks at you like Rahab, when we see Rahab later, we don't see her live. We don't see her. She's different. Justified. When we claim Christ, he doesn't see that past. He doesn't see all those other things. He chooses not to see it. Instead, he sees you for what you are right now in this moment. His son and his daughter.